Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Busy Wednesday. You know it's an overrated, underrated Wednesday. So that's coming up in the second hour of the show. Also, Kevin Woodley, our goalie guru, joining us at 4.30 and at 5 o'clock, Brad May. If you are listening live and if you are listening on podcast, we appreciate you as well. That'll be in hour one, Kevin Woodley, hour two with Brad May on the show. So um, Canucks looked pretty good last night, Sat. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. I know you and Bick got into it on the on the post game show, but um, it was as comprehensive a performance, like outside of the eight one, which just was a laugher, yeah. right? And Edmonton was just clearly unprepared for the game. It seemed like um, this was as comprehensive a win. I think I've seen from the Canucks in a very long time. It felt like it was um, as, as a coach said, very professional. Yeah. And we've been, you know, dying for this team to exhibit some professionalism, some growth, some maturity. Right. And again, it's one of those things they showed in one game and can they do it again? And honestly, like, there have been games we've seen, and I recall even last year at times when they played like a really good game. And it's like, man, yeah. if you guys can do this consistently, so they have it within them, right? Now, I do also think one of the one of the things that really helps got something from the bottom six. Like we, we've been talking about how good the top six has been. JT yep. Miller and Phil Giuseppe and obviously Brock Besser. What a goal Phil scored last night. Hey? Incredible. I mean, just hard work pays off, you know, in so many different <laughs> ways. Right. And he finally got rewarded for a yep. lot of the hard work that he's done. But those two lines have been crushing. They've been playing really well. What they've been lacking and not just the lacking in terms of, of a push, but also in terms of just having some level of spine has been the bottom six because the bottom six has been absolutely caved in. Not last night. Yeah. Last night, even though Garland and Suter, and if you go watch back how they played, yeah, it wasn't like exciting in terms of chance creation, but you know what they didn't do was spend time in their own end. Mm -hmm. They spend a lot of time in the offensive zone. It's kind of what you want to see from that. Like, again, it's always going to be a little bit imperfect with Garland playing in that sort of a role as a $5 million player, but... You still want to see that from them. Yeah, and it's it's simple stuff, man. And that and that this is what excites me, right? And it's boring at times, but it's simple. Yeah. You're not killing yourself in the bottom six. Just just get by yeah. and let your big dogs carry you. And plus they got some depth scoring as well along the way, right? I mean that, that's what helped out. But that's the recipe to me, Dan. It's like you have a bottom six that can hold its own. Let your top six eat. Yep. Have good special teams. You do that, you're gonna win a lot of hockey games. It's uh it is beneficial when you can get that from the bottom six. It was as good a performance as they had since uh, the 8-1 win over Edmonton. And, you know, they were all over it, right? The the ice was completely yeah. tilted for the first 40 minutes of the game. And sure, there were a little bit of nervy moments. Uh, they didn't pull away and make it... Uh, as comfortable as maybe it should, it, it seemed to should have be, been uh, w- given how tilted the ice was through the first forty minutes. Yeah, the score was not indicative of the game, and yeah. in many ways, the eight-one victory on the first night of the season was also not truly indicative of how that game was going. I mean, the, the Canucks were the better team; they deserved to win, but it wasn't like an eight-goal performance. A lot of bad goals too from the goaltender. And, yeah, you know, but overall, it wasn't an eight-one type of hockey game, and this was not a three-two hockey game. This yeah. should have been a four-one hockey game, really. That that's really what what it should have been, I thought, in terms of the scoreline for them. But give them credit. They 
they hung on still, and they, they weren't making any mistakes. And I did think they spent more time getting the puck into the offensive zone than they did against the Panthers the other night, albeit the Panthers do have a bit more push than what the National Predators can provide. Um, I was going to say Nils Hoaglander must be uh, the leader in goals per 60 so far this season, but uh, he's not. Uh, he's close, uh, still early, but 17th in the league and making the most of the nine minutes per game. He's essentially been playing and played under nine minutes again last night, but it seemed like he was all over the puck. And not to say that it's a solution for the bottom six, but it was a performance where I imagine it's going to be very hard to take Nils Hoaglander out of the lineup when they come home Friday. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody's coming out yeah. unless Teddy Bluger is ready and then you you do take somebody out. And I think with Hoaglander and just with all the other guys, there was a dedication to puck pursuit. Like mm-hmm. even Bavillier had a really strong night. I thought Dakota Joshua had a really strong night. We yeah. talked about him and how much Liked he... Liked him on the PK too in the... In those late two kills that they yeah. had in the third. Yeah, and he made some uh, big physical plays as well. He yeah. made his presence known, you know, and I thought that was smart. And he, and I think he's a guy who brings something this team lacks in many ways. And Lafferty, I thought, had a lot of good moments as well. Although I know everybody wants to, uh, you know, crap on Myers and he makes his fair share of mistakes. But that three on two, it's Bavillian and Lafferty turning the puck over in yeah. the offensive zone or misreading and but they both are out of the play. And next thing you know, it's a three-on-two going the other way, right? Yeah. So uh, they have that moment that that really cost the team. But unfortunately, it seemed like the only like the Canucks made two mistakes, and they both ended up in the back of their net. Yeah. So it was one of those nights, right, where you usually don't get 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 victimized that badly on just a couple of mistakes, and generally pretty innocuous outside of the, the Susie turnover, right? But I did like what Hoaglander brought in terms of the tenacity, and it was a clear identity to how he played. Yeah, you know, like he, you noticed him and. Even when it comes to puck management, he made some smart plays. Like, he wasn't a liability. Yeah, and it seemed contagious. Uh, even just thinking final minute of the third period and Garland's out there yeah. and he is just, like, all over the puck, not allowing a second to the Nashville Predators to get his own entry yeah. and try to set up six on five, right? That final 30 seconds, right? Yeah. And I think that's the type of dedication they need to have. We talk about hard work. And against the Preds, and we, we did the scouting report against the Preds, and it's like, they don't have a super high end, yeah. but they work very, very hard. But if you match their rate... You're going to have success. You know, it's just can Vancouver do that? Are they willing to do that? And they were. They got inside a lot. I mean, yep. Hoaglander on, on the tip end, he's in front of the goal. Lafferty's right there with him. PDG drives the net, obviously gets the puck to go in. I mean, they're constantly in and around the net and making life miserable for UC Sorrows. And that's a big reason why they were able to get three goals. It was uh, it was impressive. And it should breed some positivity through the market and encouragement through the market. You know, four and two is a nice spot to be in through the first six games of the season, especially when you consider there's a five-game road trip. You have to go through four games across the eastern seaboard, and it's always difficult for a Western team to do things like that. Um, but it doesn't guarantee you anything, right? Four and two doesn't guarantee you no. anything. No, but there, I think there are signs to be optimistic about where it's trending. Yeah. Because even, and we were talking about this before the game, and it's like, yeah, if you look at the raw numbers analytically, it's like, oh my God, the Canucks have this, the worst analytics in the league. And it's like, yes, there have been a lot of bad things, but as we outlined, the good players all have good numbers. Yeah. And if you look at like 
the context of how how it got there, it's clear that it's because the bottom six is still very much in flux, and the back end has been really much, very much in flux in terms of figuring out something that that can work outside of Hughes and, and Hironic. But you knew that there would be a higher baseline than what you saw. They were playing so yeah. poorly; it was unsustainable for it to be that bad. So even if even if it comes up slightly, it was going to help out a little bit. But if you're able to get players in your bottom six to win shift after shift just with zone time and do the right things and, and have some sort of identity and presence it makes such a big difference at, at the end of the day they're still playing 20 minutes at least of ice time i mean they're still they're still they're still, they're still on the ice for a third of the game yeah so how are they going to impact the game when they're on the ice it has to be somewhat positive and when you have hughes and Hirona crushing and you have the top six going and if those guys just hold their own it just gives you a chance. Like, how many times was Demko under duress last night? Not very many. You know, it, it felt different from uh, certainly the Philly game, the second game against Edmonton, periods of the Tampa Bay game, especially the end of the second period against Tampa Bay, um, and even the third period against Florida. Uh, it was a more of a complete performance from the Vancouver Canucks. And, and so, yes, they're they're four and two. There's a lot of encouraging signs. Um but, you know, there's still a lot of time, <laughs> a lot of uh, games that we need to evaluate before you know, we understand more of what this team is. I still think there's a large part of the fan base that can very easily be glass half full on wh- what we've seen through the first six games. And if you want to be, you can be glass half empty in the same way that we've had the conversation for so many years. Oh, they've got high shooting percentage. They've uh, their goaltending has been great. Their PDO is amongst the best in the league. And it's the same story we've heard with the Canucks all the time. Their top six is great. and Their bottom six isn't good enough. And it sinks the way that this team can actually perform. And, uh, yeah, there is, to some extent, some truth to that, but that's completely ignoring that there's a process here of continuing to build towards something, right? And I think the the glass half full part of this is, well, you can kind of start to see that they are building towards something. And if you want to believe in it, if you want to believe in Rick Tockett's methods of coaching in that there is some buy-in with the team, you can see how that started to progress, right? You saw it in game one against Edmonton. They hung on for a win in game two and had their worst performance in game three against Philadelphia. Coach blasts them and then pulls back and says, it's on you guys now. Mm-hmm. And each game since, we've seen them get better. They were better against Tampa. They were even better against Florida. And then they got their best performance on the eastern part of the road trip in Nashville last night. So it's really all in the eye of the beholder as to how much you want to believe in what you've seen from the Canucks so far. But what I will say is you absolutely cannot deny that there are some encouraging signs from what we've seen. Yeah. And I think on, on an even more, I, I'd say I test level and Raymond makes this point on the text inbox. It was super refreshing seeing them make the simple play when defending the lead. And it goes back to again, like just simple hockey, the staples. Yeah. And, and you know, listen, it's okay for you to be outshot and somewhat outchanced if you're containing. Yeah. You're not falling apart. And we talked about this before in terms of, well, okay. Tockett says it himself, like, uh, I'll, I'll give up quantity as, lo- as long as we're, you know, limiting quality. And and we've seen the blueprint print for this core to some degree having success in the 2019-2020 season. And it wasn't because they were out-chancing and out-winning the opponent consistently. It was because they were pretty good in defending 
And they had players at a high level that could finish and score. They had a good power yeah. play, good goaltending. And that's how they survived. And that's how they thrived, actually, and, and won a round in the postseason even. And, and were a team that was tough to beat, right? And that's not the baseline to win a Stanley Cup, but it's a baseline to be competitive. And at the very least, give yourself a chance when you have talented hockey players. And right now, even with, if you look at some of the numbers, they're still doing that on a large level. And one thing I will say, too, you got to be really careful early in the season when citing a lot of this. It changes dramatically. Well, one game last night for the Canucks wildly changed their Corsi numbers and things like that. Well, exactly. And that's why I'm like, I, I don't even really want to cite those things. Yeah. I think what's interesting is more at looking at what has the deployment been? And we've gone through this. And when we talked about Myers and, and Ian Cole and his struggles, and it's like, well, anytime Ian Cole's played with Hronik or Hughes, he's been excellent. When he's with Myers, it's been yep. bad, but he spent a lot of time with Myers. So it's like, you have to look at the context of what's gone on and what's gone wrong. Cause I think Ian Cole last night, again, and pretty much for his entire start to the season outside of a few moments has been excellent yeah. in how he defends in his own zone. And I don't see a lot of breakdowns from this team. And there's been a few but they're getting fewer and fewer the last little bit. And I think if you play with that mindset, everything else is going to take care of itself in terms of some of the numbers. They'll equalize. And I wouldn't worry too much about it. Like A lot gets said about small samples. But this is a team with Patterson, with Hughes, with Miller. Those guys are going to drive and score no yeah. matter what the situation is. And uh, they've continued to do that for this team. So we'll see how it uh, turns out as they come back home Friday against St. Louis, Saturday on the back-to-back, also at home, against the New York Rangers. An interesting little stretch here for the Canucks before uh, they head back out east to do a tour of the Canadian opponents in the Eastern Conference. Um, we did get an update on... Elias Pettersson. Well, I, I don't know if it's an update, but Elliot Friedman in his latest 32 Thoughts blog gave a little bit extra as far as uh, the boat interview went. As we know, uh, whenever you do these types of interviews, mm-hmm. editors will have to trim it down to yeah. a finite number of minutes and seconds and some things that might be pretty interesting end up getting cut out. Well, you oftentimes hear from uh, directors talk about uh, how hard it was for them to leave some things on a cutting room floor yes. and how they still have nightmares Not about Not Martin it. Scorsese. I no. mean, he just, uh, he keeps everything in. Yeah, I mean, that's why every movie is like 24 hours. <laughs> you got to bring a tent with you when, when you go to watch a Martin Scorsese movie. Yes, that's a shot at Killers of the Flower Moon if you are uh, listening intently. I, I have to wait for movies like that to to make it to uh, Netflix. Like Netflix or something so yeah. I can watch it in four installments. <laughs> uh, it'll be on Apple TV Plus, I believe, as, a, as an Apple original film. But nonetheless, a little too long. Um, as for Pedersen, though, what I think was most interesting in the extra that Elliot Friedman spilled in his latest 32 Thoughts blog is a quote that might have changed the entire reaction to the tease that was sent out in the summer after they did uh, the boat cruise interview. And the quote is a pretty simple one, uh, and it's about winning in Vancouver. If everybody has one mindset, and that is to win, I think that's more than enough, referring to whether or not he wants to commit his future to the Vancouver Canucks. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty telling quote, and it puts it more in black and white than I think what was originally sent out in that tease clip. 
Yeah, I think it adds a lot of, you know, positive context in yes. terms of, um, you know, where things stand. And I think it also kind of shows why Elliot, every time he's spoken about this, has made it very clear that he thinks as long as this, this team is committed to winning and wins, they're gonna, it's going to take care of itself that he'll sign and he's going to be there. And I think it's because of the vibe he got being with Patterson and talking yeah. to him with whatever actually was on the record or off the record and obviously with quotes like that from him, right? But I do think it's also pretty vague in terms of as long as the everybody everyone's mindset is to win. Mm. So what does that mean? That doesn't just mean him, the players on the ice. It also means organizationally. Yeah. And we also know it's been a bit of a circus with the Canucks the right. past little while. Now, that has obviously stabilized considerably since Rutherford and Feels Alvin that way. took over. Well, I'd say it stabilized initially, and then the circus started up again. Yes, it, had de- an it destabilized for yeah, a while. Yeah, it had an encore performance during the Bruce Boudreaux era, right? It showed up like Cirque du Soleil yeah. and camped up for a few months outside of Rogers Arena. And... And eventually it got to the point where, I mean, it was a talk of the whole hockey world, right? The organization was being completely skewered for how they handled it or didn't handle it. You know, rightly or wrongly, they were the butt end of every joke of the NHL for a pretty significant portion of last year, right? It had the waves of emotion of like Joe Pesci and Goodfellas. Yes, very much so. Very much so. And now you get to a point where it's all calm-ish. But as we know in Vancouver... There's always a calm before another storm arrives. <laughs> so it's like, okay, l- l- let's see what everything's like, you know? Yeah. And hopefully, I think there's good reason to be optimistic about how things are going with the front office, I think. But it's like, yeah, let's let's see some stability. Mm-hmm. And if you see that, they start winning on the ice, then yeah, I don't think there's any reason why he, he would... There's no reason why he wouldn't commit to Vancouver. It, uh, win, baby. That's it. I was... Uh, that's exactly... Man, Al Davis, of all the things Al Davis ever said, that's probably the most uh, salient point he's ever made as an owner of an NFL football team. Just win, baby. You know, players will want to come to your team. You'll be the talk of the town. Good things happen when you win. Just win, baby. That's all it is. Just win, baby. There it is. It's And it's so true. And it's very true in this Canucks context. If they keep winning... If things are going well, Patterson's playing well, the team is playing well, they're having success, it should be without a shadow of a doubt that this thing is heading in the right direction, that wins can happen here, and playoff games can happen here. Yeah, and also like the, the pathway to not only being a playoff team, but being a Stanley Cup contender... And that comes down to your level of trust and will management make the right calls, right? Make the right investments, and... If you look at Hironic, for instance, I think he's a player when you talk to the guys, like they're all very impressed yeah. with what he looks like and they feel like they've added a real quality player. And that's always a big boost to the team because they're like, yeah, man, listen, we, we got a guy. Like we got somebody we feel yeah. like is a, another guy here that we can go to battle with. And I think that's really big for them. Can you keep doing things like that? And I don't think, you know, I'm not saying you have to go out and get Willie Nylander by the trade deadline uh, to get Elias Pettersson to sign or anything. That would be a lot of fun. That though. would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and he himself said, he, you know, if he had to pick a couple of line mates, <laughs> one was Philip Forsberg. Yeah. One was Willie Nylander. Well, I could see how that might work. Right. Be on the power play with those guys. Yeah. It wouldn't be too, too bad. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's clear that. They also want to have trust in management. And when you see these guys come in, or at least Hirona come in and play well, does that build more trust? And they're like, okay, you know what? These guys know how to identify players. These guys, you know, can go and find players that can put us over the top. And I think that's all part of the the sales package here to Elias Patterson. It's 
we think we have the right coach, we have the right players, and we think we have the right people making the calls to take this team to the next step. And, you know, it's positive right now. Is it going to be positive in a month or two? Uh, a couple of other things that Pedersen mentioned, uh, talked about, uh, Rick Tockett. I always try to, like, not say talk when I'm about to say Tockett, talk but it's talk. really difficult. It's very difficult. To avoid the uh, alliteration it, of it all. Yeah. yeah, the Tockett talk. Yeah. Um on Rick Tockett, he said he wants the best for me. He wants me to be more vocal. He wants me to lead the team and just be the best version of myself. So he's a guy I can go and talk to. He has no ego and went on to say, I play my best when I'm comfortable, not stressed, go out there and do all the things that I practice. So it feels as though there is a comfor like there's a comfortability there yeah. with, with Rick Tockett and I mean, his play shows and Ultimately, that relationship, and I think in general with Rick Tockett, we haven't seen him push too many wrong buttons so far. And his reputation through the game, I think, speaks for itself. But it already seems to be, oh yeah, I know I just said a few minutes ago, four and two means nothing. But as far as those building blocks, it seems like there's a real connection with the roster and and the coach as to how the process needs to work if the team is going to work. There's a real consistency to him. And that's not to say that, as we saw after the Flyers game, he's not afraid of of, uh, tearing a strip off anybody either for the team. But when you talk to people around the organization in terms of their day-to-day dealings with them, Everybody is like they—they they all love the, the guy. Yeah, and not because he's this goes out and he's like super gregarious or anything like that, but it's more about he's authentic, mm-hmm. and every day it's the same guy. There's a consistency to how he, how he approaches things, and he will talk to uh, the lowest, the person at the lowest rung, the same way he speaks to the person at the highest level. Like he's he's respectable too, and if there's an authenticity to how you approach things day to day, I think that goes a long way. Again, it's very simple. Yeah, and and I think when you're looking to be successful as an organization, it's about not only having people that can relate to people on a simple term and just be simple, good people, a simple, like, you know, professional people. If you have those types of um, em- employees, you usually end up being pretty, pretty successful, right? You end up being pretty clear in how you think and how you act and how you behave. And when it comes to the players, when you've been a player like talk and you hear X guys talk about this all the time, he's done everything you can imagine on the ice. Yeah. And when you have a player like that who's gone through all the battles too, no one's going to question you know where it's coming from. Yeah. You know, if he if he does criticize you even. You've been through the battles. Uh, you know it as well as anybody. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We'll get to some of your texts 650 650 on the He has his take on the way things are going for the Vancouver Canucks so far, what the numbers are showing and just how much they've relied on their goaltenders to this point in the season. That's coming up next on Canucks Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.